Guys, this is Succession. This is HBO. If you don't want to hear me talking about Logan Roy, talking about then don't listen to this. There are bad language words in this show. Hello, and welcome to the Bleed the Swede episode of Slate Money Succession, your guide to episode five of Succession, which came out last night. I am Felix Salmon of Axios. I'm here with Emily Peck of Axios. Hi. With Elizabeth Spires of the New York Times, among other places. Hello. And with... The one and only Peter Kafka. Peter, I can't believe you haven't been on this show before, but this is amazing. Um, hello. And no, I didn't take that personally. It took the fourth <laughs> season for me to show up. You've been I on Slate like... Money, right? You just haven't been on Slate Money Succession. You lured me on to talk about uh, Michael Clayton under the premise that it would be a fun movie to talk about. And instead I had to spend time defending. <laughs> no bitterness here at all. Uh, we will talk. Um we, we will talk about uh, the relative merits, maybe, perhaps. But, Peter, before we get into the meat of this, um, introduce yourself. Who are you? Hi, I'm Peter Kafka. I work at Vox.com, and I make content there on the website. And I also make podcasts. I host the Recode Media podcast, which is free and available right now. And we just started a three-part series on AI, which you can listen to right now when you're done listening to this podcast. <laughs> yes. Listen listen to this one first, because we have a bunch of stuff to catch up on in Slate Money Succession. Okay, so Peter, uh, catch us up. What's the, what's the big news? What's the headline from episode five? Uh... The episode five starts off with a song called The Takeover by Jay-Z, uh, which I did have to sound hound to make sure that I was getting the right. And this, this, is, um, this is a throwback to, I guess, season one when it's the Beastie Boys. Was it the Beastie Boys? Anyway, when Kendall is riding high, he puts on, and, but wants to, um, wants to hype himself in charge, up. wants to hype himself up, and also project to himself and the people in the vicinity of his car. <laughs> Uh, he, he jams up some some hip hop, and so this was right right on the nose. Kendall's in charge, or is projecting as if he's taking charge. Um, he's the man, and then he and everyone else who works for uh, uh, for Lo formerly Logan Roy has to go to not Sweden but Norway to try to convince Madsen to buy their company. We we do have this. Um clear feeling at the beginning of this episode that even though technically they're co-CEOs, Kendall is first among equals between the two. Uh, Kendall believes that. To be In his case. head, yeah. he definitely thinks that. And I guess Roman didn't get the same applause as Kendall we, did, we, but that's didn't because he came Roman early to get the office. any applause. Yeah. Right. They are both super duper play acting. They are both really trying to convince uh, everyone around them and themselves that they are the bosses now. But when it comes to the fateful decision that Kendall makes that he wants to try to blow up the deal, it's him making that decision and him persuading Roman and Roman saying, well, okay then. But, I mean, you're skipping from the beginning to the end of the episode, <laughs> and I forgive you. Did Roman really want to blow up the deal, A? B, 
they didn't blow up the deal. They basically sealed the deal. Because earlier in the episode, Kendall says to Roman, we need to really convince um, the Swede that we'll, we can walk away. Like, we don't care. And that's what they did. They convinced the Swede that they could walk away. And at that point, he raises he raises the offer. And now they're being congratulated on the deal that I think they didn't want, but I sort of think Roman did want. I mean, for most of the show, whenever uh, Kendall announces a decision, he sort of his eyes dart around. If he gets any pushback, <laughs> whether it's from Matson, whether it's from his sister or his brother, he just folds immediately. He sort of try. He says, "I'm I'm going to alpha dog this. I'm going to say what we should do." And someone says, "Well, I don't, I don't think that's a great." Oh, okay, okay, and he back. <laughs> um, so they're just sort of twisting in the wind. Yeah, it also seemed like Roman had some reservations about giving ATN to. Matson, possibly because originally Logan had kind of set him up to potentially be the CEO of ATN, so he's probably still fantasizing about that. Right. The the kids want to run something, and when Matson comes to them and says, "I want to buy the Holker and Caboodle," what they realize is that although money is nice, what they really want is power, and without ATN, they have no power, and they just become another pair of rich kids and as kendall says to matson like i'm already rich like having all of this extra money doesn't actually help me very much it's not like i can i'm going to be able to like buy an extra car i can buy an extra car already right but- yeah without without atn though if they want to be important instead of rich they will have to by Pierce, they'll have to build something, which they were pretending they were going to do a couple episodes ago. As soon as the opportunity came to not build something and to buy something instead, they were much more comfortable. And they're they're scared that if they have to try to build a thing on their own, they will fail and they'll be uh, they'll be shown for what they really are, which is rich kids. So one of the things that has bubbled up a couple of times in this show is this idea of like the owner of a news network being suitable for that news network. When Logan turned to Roman and said, like, you don't want to own Pierce. Pierce is not your kind of news network. He was right. And then when Kendall went to Matson and said, you don't understand ATN, ATN is not your kind of news, re- news network. He was right. There is this interesting idea that there has to be some kind of philosophical alignment between the owner and the property. And, you know, Shiv understands this. When she, when she like, was given the news that Matson wanted to buy ATN, she's like, great, let's get rid of this toxic asset. Like, because she is not aligned with ATN. Yeah, Shiv is the interesting character in this episode, Right. I mean, she clearly doesn't want to keep ATN. She's coming to the brothers initially to tell them that Mankin, the presidential candidate who's like a little Nazi-ish, is listening in or participating in news calls, which is like wild. I don't know if there's uh, some real world (laughs) comparator to that. Peter, is there a real world comparator to that? I mean, that's just a direct call out to Fox and the Trump White House, right? Yeah. The Trump wasn't sitting in on the morning calls, but it was, you know, well, well documented over and over. He was, he was calling Hannity every, every morning. Just, right. Yeah. So, um, and she's clearly upset by that. And, and like Ke- Kendall and Roman 
aren't. They don't even care at all. And I feel like that was a significant moment for her because in the whole episode, she's playing against, definitely playing against Kendall and she's aligning, you know, with Matson basically. And they have that great scene together, which I think was my favorite part of the episode. It was a good, the, the Kendall, uh, so yeah, the Shiv Matson scene is <laughs> so good. It's such a great scene. We should, um, Emily, you should talk about that scene. My favorite my favorite bit, I think, is when she accepts the cocaine from Matson and just, like, makes it seem like she's going to do something, but then quietly just screws the lid back well, on. She's, she's pregnant. Yes. I mean, so she, she did. She did not <laughs> do the cocaine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she is drinking. She's got a yeah. drink in her hand. No, I, I rewound that several times. Like, <laughs> did she do the coke? Are they leaving it ambiguous? They, You know, I guess in theory she could have done it off camera, but it seems pretty clear that she did not. Yeah, I was snort. like looking in the window, like, can you see her reflection <laughs> doing it? What's what is it? <laughs> Peter, is there is there any tech CEO that Matson reminds you of? Uh, no. I mean, he's an amalgam of a bunch of things, right? You know, Daniel Eck does not does not um, present himself that way. So, in terms of the the one Swedish tech billionaire that I know, um, no. Um, there are some, there are rumors about various people in tech re-embracing <laughs> cocaine again. Um, I'm assuming that was cocaine. Um, my, my consumption of HBO shows has also told me that ketamine is popular with young people again. So I'm assuming that was coke and not ketamine, but I don't know. Um, Shiv does mention to Tom that a whole bunch of people at this retreat have been doing Molly. Oh, that scene. Okay, so... Okay. <laughs> we so are jumping Shiv, around here. Yeah, Apologies. Yes. <laughs> so Shiv and Matson, they have this, like, evening conversation, and it's like a... I feel like it was a good conversation. She's actually honest with him about her marital situation, and it's interesting she made that decision to just be honest, because that's not something that happens a lot of the times in succession. And he tells her this just insane <laughs> story about how he's sending... <laughs> half liters of frozen blood to his ex. And then the reveal is that the ex is the, the head of comms, right? Ebba? <laughs> it's Ebba. It's Ebba. Ebba um, is amazing. Yeah, she's my new favorite just, character. I, it was, first of all, it was good also because not only is Shiv, you know, being honest with him, but he's sort of, I guess, being honest with her and actually revealing a weakness well, what's what's great is that she starts immediately giving him PR advice, and she says her, her first thing is, you know, three points. And she said, point one might be hard for you, but you need to stop sending people your blood. <laughs> Just really, really yeah. good advice. Good, good, generally good advice. Good life Just advice quality. for all everyone listening to Sleep Money Succession in general. Don't send people your blood, contraindicated, as just as a PR move. But yeah, Please like I think that. the. Um, the degree of like honesty and self-awareness that she shows when she says, we're fucked, it's a disaster, I broke his heart and he broke mine and we lost our footing, is something, like there's no non-Matson character on the show that she would have been able to say that to. Right? It's interesting uh, why she made that choice. Maybe she felt like sh this, I don't understand why she made that choice, actually, if anyone yeah, enlightened me. Uh, it's free. It's free therapy, right? Is Matson who you would go to for therapy? I mean, he's an unreliable narrator. So if he turned and used that against yeah. you, you could say, I, didn't, right. I, "I never said that." And by the way, you were high as a kite the entire time we talked. 
But it's also not even, it's not even something that can be used against her, right? It's not like damaging information. Yeah. So much as it's just her like trying to get something off her chest, you know? They're they're also flirting, right? She's saying, I am no longer with my husband. I'm available. That's true. Right. Which is part of his question too, what he asked. Right. What is, are you available? So are they going to get together? Because she kind of, when she talks to Tom later, before he hits her? He um, does something she, to she her, kind of her earlobe? Suggest that. Yeah. Does he pull the earlobe or just hit the earlobe? I, I didn't really get I her hostility toward Tom in that scene. It didn't seem like something new had precipitated that. I'm really confused by everything about Shiv in this episode, right? Because she's very hostile to him <laughs> kicking the dirt on his white sneakers. And then at, towards the end of the episode... I think she saved his job at ATN somehow. So, so th- th- this it took me a couple of viewings to work this one out. So, just in case you missed it, um, we start off the episode with Roman telling Shiv, "Look, if you want us to fire Tom, we can totally fire Tom. We're the CEOs." And she demurs. I think is the is the correct word. She like mutters something about going having to go see Jerry and doesn't doesn't make a decision one way or the other. But clearly doesn't say yes. Um, and then she does this little like baby psychological torture thing with Tom on the plane on the way back where she's like, we're looking at some moves at ATN, which is code for, we want to fire the leadership of ATN. And Tom is like, you really want to do this? Meaning like, are you actually going to fire me right now on the plane? And she like pulls the little switcheroo and says, yeah, we're going to fire Sid. Do you want to tell him? And he's like, what? Oh, and then he's, he's genuinely shocked that it's not him who's getting fired. And then Shiv puts the Shiv in, right? Because she's Shiv. She's, she's done something nice for him. And then she's like, hide your erection, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then says, you want to get dinner when we get back? And then walks off. And it's just like, what? Yeah, what does it mean, Peter? Um... I just think these are people who had a long relationship and, and it was a complicated one and now they're in the breakup period and so there's that thing where they have a ton of resentment about each other. They also are forced to work with each other and they have mixed feelings, right? So on the one hand, Shiv doesn't doesn't fire Tom when she could make that happen and it could be clean. She wants him around. Um, but she also goes out of her way to emasculate him, um, like, Really, really heavily uh, with the presence of Matson. Um, so it's erratic, but I think that is meant to be the case. I think she's supposed to be all over the place. I yeah, she I think, doesn't I think know it what she is wants. A, it is a pretty realistic portrait of a you know dysfunctional couple in the process of breaking up. Okay, I like it. And in like in saying we want you to fire to fire Sid, is she also who's the we? Is it her and Matson? No, I think her and her brothers, right? Remember, that was Logan's plan. That right. was Logan's plan. Whether Shiv knows that it was Logan's plan. I mean, I think it's reasonable to assume that Roman might have shared that with her. There's no reason why it was secret. Okay. And now, and now that, um, you know, she's learned that Minkin is listening into the news calls, that's like prima facie, you know, grounds for you know, firing. Yeah, I'm much more confused by Shiv's periodic naivete. She's supposed to be the super sophisticated comms person who knows the byways of, of how to communicate. And she's constantly shocked at weird behavior at ATN or, or at uh, 
at uh, Waystar. Like at the very beginning, which she's the Mencken stuff. That's like, how could she not know that? That seems like the kind of thing that Jane Mayer would have been writing about for six months. Uh, <laughs> and she's and she's constantly surprised to find that things in, in her father's company are not above board. But, you know, I think but the reason Jane Mayer publishes that in The New Yorker is because Shiv has leaked it to her. Right. And like Shiv has leaked it to her because she was shocked when she was found out. She doesn't like these people and she is she finds their behavior shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just find she's constantly aghast to find that there's gambling going on with the Roy family uh, property. I sort of read it more as moral outrage about the politics of ATN. Uh, she says something, she says a great line where she says, you know, why don't we just get rid of ATN? You know, we keep one of dad's sweaters, it's way less racist, you know? Yeah, that's why I thought that sort of pushed her to Madsen's side and basically she helped make that offer happen. Um you know, she made that help make that offer happen. The one at the end, she pumped up Carolina to him. She pumped up Jerry to him. She absolutely wants to have ATN, the toxic asset, sold, and probably likes the idea of it getting IKEA to fuck. Which I don't really know what that means exactly, but <laughs> it's like a Gray Bloomberg, Emily. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's a money maker. Should right? we discuss whether Matson is is a? This seems like a terrible, terrible proposition for him. It seems like he will put ATN to zero. Yeah. Um, and and he's, no he's idea paying what he's like doing. an extra $50 yeah. a share for this, for this property. It's a serious um, premium that he's paying. I mean, this is, this is again, a, l- a little difference between the obvious corollary, which was the way that Disney took the sort of non-news parts of Fox and left the news parts for, for Rupert to run on his own. Um, you know, Fox was not worth, half as much as, you know, um, 20, 20th Century Fox and all the stuff that Disney bought. So this is this is in the world of the um, of, of succession. ATN is a very valuable property, but also, like, it's very clearly looking at, like, Frank and Carl and how they react to this news. Um, and Jerry, actually, in particular, when they hear the amount of the premium that he's willing to pay to get ATN, they're like, that is way more than ATN is worth, right? Like, if you spun off ATN into something like Fox Corp, it would never be worth that much money. So obviously we have a fiduciary um, responsibility to take this deal. Yeah. And ATN, you can't, if it's if it's Fox News, which it is, you cannot value it without Logan Roy running it. Um, its value goes to, not zero, because it's got cable distribution rights, et cetera. It's still an ongoing. But it, you, it, without him running it, without him touching it, um, it's not going to be successful in, in the way that it is then. And there's no reason to think that Matson is going to be a good, a good steward for it. So he's dramatically overpaying. So wait, like, let's, let's, let's be, let's be like real world about this. You don't you, like his plan for ATN? Oh, the, the Grey Bloomberg? The IKEA? No, but I, but I, I'm not sure I agree with that. Like, I think Fox News has value without Rupert being in charge. It probably has value even without Larkland being in charge. No. Well, when Kendall tells Matson that he doesn't understand ATN, and Matson replies, "Yeah, I do. It's a lot of yelling, small men, big veins." <laughs> <laughs> it's a good line, but it does mean he doesn't yeah. understand it. Yes. 
Um, who is, who is, I mean, look, he can, as soon as he starts to tinker with it and make it less horrible and less yelly or less whatever, the audience that wants all of that will eventually turn the channel or turn it off. Totally. 100%. Or die. Um, And he's right to say that that is a, it is a shrinking asset, right? Because the people who watch ATN slash Fox are old. Um, they're the last people watching linear TV, right? So that asset is going to devalue on its own over time, but uh, on a long, on a long trail, uh, on a long arc. Um, and he's going to go in and try to, you know, blow it up in advance and turn it into something else. I just don't know what the value is once you right. once you remove so the programming thesis? that that audience likes. Oh, I think it's it's terrible overreach. It's it's the classic smart tech guy saying I can clearly see the problem with this thing, and he's right. Um, and then his solution is completely wrong. And, and actually, in a weird way, his solution is not a million miles away from what David Zaslav is doing to CNN, right? No. In terms of like depoliticizing it and making it more boring. Oh, that's all just pretend. David is that, no. That's David Zaslav doesn't know what to do with CNN clearly, um, and has been told by John Malone it should go one way, and by other people it should go a different way. And he's got the same problem that everyone who's owned and ran CNN has, which is, what do you do when there's not a national crisis? Mm-hmm. Um, because people don't watch CNN unless something is blowing up. Um, and so, you know, pre-Trump, Jeff Zucker's uh, solution was to do the poop cruise or the Malaysia plane and make those you know, two week long story, embarrassing, right? Bad journalism. Um, but that's what you have to do if you want, if you are running a non-ideological 24 hour news operation, there's no reason for, for people to watch you unless, unless you've ginned up some fake news. Um, they watch MSNBC or Fox cause they're loyalists and there's no reason to watch CNN. And so this premise of non-ideological news, I guess, I guess a long winded way of saying, yes, maybe he thinks that's what Zaslav is doing, but Zaslav doesn't know. Um, but, <laughs> But no, this is, I mean, he's taking Fox, in, in the world of succession, he's taking Fox News and trying to make it CNN, which is a terrible idea. Yeah, I think it's a bad idea because you have a brand and the brand means something. And he's trying to take away what that brand means and like blow it up for right. an audience that doesn't even exist or maybe exists, but watches something else. Weirdly, when we find out at the end of the episode that Tom isn't on the kill list, um... And there's that little exchange between Roman and Shiv where Roman's like, yeah, he's actually doing a perfectly good job. It it strikes me that if you needed to pick one person to run ATN, Tom wouldn't be terrible. He does actually understand how it works and he understands what the politics are. And he might not share the politics, but he like he knows where the bread is buttoned. He like, basically understands how to run it. I, you know, I... That Emily is shaking her head. She refuses to believe that Tom can actually be competent at he anything. Just, he has no, like, backbone or moral center. And I think, I mean, in the real world, <laughs> if you run a you media You say that company, like it's a bad thing. Well, if you run a media company, you need a little bit of a, a center or something. Or Am I wrong? Like he's, need- he's, he's in that structure. He's the operator, right? So he's not, he's not the programming person. That's Sid, who they're going to fire. <clears throat> He's right. the guy to you know lead the sales calls and and do that sort of stuff. He's got he's not going to rally the newsroom. He's also you know I I just love how this show constantly shows you over and over how the kids, but everyone else in that world is just bad at their job. 
Um, Tom, whose main job is supposed to be like being amenable and personable, like can't strike up a conversation with Matson. He 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 wimps out and walks by initially, which is great. And then when he does sit down, he tries to make small talk, and it's the worst small talk ever. Which, by the way. I would do the exact same thing, but I'm not presenting myself as the CEO of a billion-dollar operation that 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 fake gravitas you're supposed to have. It was so cringe. I, I wrote down cringe like four times in my notes. I couldn't believe it. It was the one time I watched something happen. I was like, well, even the, I wouldn't. I would. We laughed. We were at Sun Valley. We were mocking Sundar's cargo shorts. The creases. That's his the opening creases. line. The creases, remember? And then the only thing that kind of moves him off of it is Greg coming over and being twice as cringy. Even more cringe. Although Greg had that wonderful line about the baguette is mightier than the bagel. (laughs) And it's funny because at the beginning, like on the plane, when they're trying to hype up, um, there's this speech about how like they're wolves or something. One of you probably wrote it down. They're the wolves and they're coming in. They don't know what's going to hit them. And it's like, actually... You're just embarrassed. You're all of you are embarrassing, pretty much, except Carolina. That's that's and Jerry, right? She has yeah. that speech. Mm-hmm. Do you think yeah. she believes it? No, no. <laughs> it's, I think I think Logan did like release a pathogen onto these people, and they don't know how to behave themselves in the normal world because they have they have gotten so used to like ingratiating themselves with this like completely irrational. Um, yeah, they're not they're Flighty not best man. of breed, right? They're people no. who succeeded in Waystar Royco, which is yeah. that they made themselves useful enough to Logan not to get fired. Yeah. Um, but not powerful enough to challenge him. It's fascinating though to think about like the the Gojo team, right? Are they a Nasdaq master race or like <laughs> are they actually just as moronic as anyone else? I mean, they probably are as moronic, right, as evidenced by, like, Matson's going to buy ATN, which is a terrible idea. But they're on the ascent, right? And they are young, and they are fit, and they're the, one, they're the ones who are going to buy the old, the old group. So in, they are the alphas in this case. Now, it, it, they can absolutely overreach and be wrong. Um, but they are – I mean, that's why Jerry has to make that fake confident speech about how they're cosseted and weak and socialist and European because they are clearly way ahead. And they, you know, Waystar Rico is flying to them, right? They have all the power. Um, Two days and, after their yeah. father died. As and the, and the, uh, that wonderful little bit where Oscar and Matson start talking in Swedish about like incest <laughs> and Habsburgs. And, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, Tom isn't alert enough to pick up on the incest in the Habsburgs and is just trying to laugh along when, in fact, they, he, they're just telling him. They say, right, his and do you agree with us? Is completely inbred. <laughs> I mean, that's how they come across, as completely inbred. I was really embarrassed for everyone. It's like, I don't know, you go somewhere with your... You've had this experience. You go somewhere with someone you know, but you're totally outclassed, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, like the, the curtain's been raised or something or you have people over your house and you're like jesus it's messy in here you don't even notice that's how i felt about this episode it's like reveals just how crap these people all are right in an episode an episode prior right they were making fun was it two episodes prior they're making fun of the interloper with the capacious bag because she doesn't know how to behave in their world yes exactly and then you move them eight hours east and they're totally off their they have no status at all Yes. Um, oh, can we talk about the eight hours east thing? Because I feel like this episode 
finally puts the knife in this thesis that Emily has that there's 10 episodes and that one day each and they're each the day after the previous episode. Like, for, for one thing, this episode actually takes place over three days. Um, for another thing, the when um, the, the main day in the middle of it, um, when um, Matson meets the brothers, they talk about what the stock did on Monday, which means that they're meeting on Tuesday, right? So if Logan dies on Friday, and we've only had one day in between, clearly we are not having one day per episode here. I case think closed. It was three days. Fine. Case closed, but I think it was a two day, not a three day. They only had one night and a morning. It was a day, a night, and a morning. So they they had they they had a day when Kendall goes into the office, right? Then they fly overnight because the the plane is dark when they fly out. Yeah. They land the following morning. Then there's Correct. the big party where everyone does Molly. They go to sleep. They wake up the following morning and fly back. Yeah. And and the following morning is when they meet on the top of the mountaintop and Roman insults Matson and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So it really is three days. Huh. All right. Well, I think we should link to this great time story that also agrees with me about the one-day episode each. But Even that though I great, am wrong, I'm that still great, to it. That great time story was written before <laughs> episode five came out, and now it all, like, everything needs to I'm be. I'm still sticking to it. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We should talk about Roman completely fucking himself, right, at the top of the mountain and telling Matson that, like, he's never going to do the deal and just, like, losing his shit. And, yeah, what was that? I think Roman had has more feeling for Logan than any of the other kids. 
And so particularly when Matson was sort of insulting him and he called him a prick and you saw Roman push back on it. And then he, you know, his big grievance was, you know, you made us come out here a couple of days after our dad died. And this was after you jerked around our dad for, you know, six months. Um, so it seemed like, you know, the, the emotional element of it was really uh, Roman's relationship with Logan. Yeah. And I, and it did feel, it did feel like emotionally real. He wasn't, you know, putting on a, an act and there was, yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, even by succession standards, <laughs> there was a lot of swearing in that scene. Um, you he inhuman, said, I hate you. He said, you, you, you inhuman fucking dog man. I fucking hate you. You stupid <laughs> cunt, you piece of shit. I said, okay, I get the message. <laughs> and he, of course, did it while Lucas Matson was peeing, because that is a common Roman behavior. He's well, always they, talking to people they, while they're peeing. They had a previous interaction while Lucas was peeing. In like, yes. And they peed yeah. on the app, <laughs> on the on the Waystar yes. app. Yes, yes. I forgot about that. And didn't Roman also, with the Mencken, the, the Nazi presidential candidate, they had a pee They had a pee thing, too. yeah. I'm sure that that's three, basically. So it's a trend, and it's, I don't, it probably means Ro- Roman only really interacts with men, other men, when they're peeing, basically. Yeah, he also makes a point of going up to him while he's doing it, right? Because yeah. Matson goes, I'm just going to walk over here and, and indelicately pee on the side of my mountain. And the Roman says, well, I'm going to sit right in, I'm going to sit in front of you, which is definitely a violation of bro code, um, and then yell at you. So it's, I mean, it, it is some real dick swinging going on throughout this entire episode. And Matson is almost always winning. Can, yes. can we, can we uh, just mention the Hugo at the top talking about the CE bros? And you're like, no, no. This is, Hugo did not win this episode in any way. Oh my God, this is such, I mean, that was so cringe when he went up to his opposite number and was like, you almost won the bronze. Oh my God. What about his his plate running over with food, with his pastries? Yes, yeah. Oh. And, and they call him out, and they call him out. He's like, I metabolize first, which is he's so humiliating. If you were, I, I, someone has once said, "Oh, go for it, Peter." <laughs> while I was piling my plate or something, and I was like, very humbled. No, that, yeah, the, the, the quote is, "I metabolize first because I'm dynamic." <laughs> yeah, that doomed him. That put him right on the list. He rocketed to the top of the kill list. So, so yeah, I mean, to your point, Emily, like the two names that um, Shiv gives Matson as being competent, Cherry and Carolina, are the two names that aren't on the kill list, right? Right. That that conversation seems to have made its way straight into the kill list, or in one way or another. I believe so, yes. <laughs> Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced. I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people camp here, ransacked my computer. And I, I got people threatening me. I got this and that, but I'm safe. And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's Rebel Billionaire on the slow newscast, wherever you get your podcasts. We should have some favorite lines because there are some good ones in this one. I, I'm, I'm, it's not really a, just my favorite one liner, but I really did like um, the bit where Roman 
for like a brief delusional second, thinks he might have killed the deal. And he turns to Ken and goes, if a deal collapses in the wood and no one hears it, is it an SEC violation? (laughs) Which basically what he's saying is smart, right? What he's saying is, I have a fiduciary duty um, to get the best price for my shareholders as CEO of this company. Um, I am... You know, if they knew I was trying to kill this deal, then I would be open to all manner of enormous lawsuits and it would be very, very damaging to me. Um, But hey, you know, so long as it's just the three of us up here and no one recorded it, like, can we get away with it? Yeah, and they absolutely have to take the deal, right? Although, I don't know what that does to... I mean, the deal has to then blow up because there's no way... I don't know what they're going to do for the next five episodes, them just counting their money. Um, So they they must have to get back... They must have to get ATN back under their their ownership. Or maybe the deal is going to close in X number of days and they can still fuck around with it until then. You know, there's a lot of antitrust we need to worry about. Everyone keeps talking about this election and in that timepiece that confirmed my theory that has been unconfirmed by this latest episode, there is speculation that the season ends on election day or near election day because it's very close. And at some point, someone said something about election days in 10 days or something. So maybe there's some kind of like Nazi takes the White House and then they're stuck with him in ATN kind of a situation. Maybe Nazi gets assassinated at the last minute and then Connor steps in and winds up being the president-elect because he's like the consensus vice president candidate or something. (laughs) Poor Connor, he's stuck back in New York trying to bury his father in a kilt. Okay, so this is, I'm just going to come in with my number one favorite line from the episode. You comes, can't do all your lines. We no, no, no. We, you are all coming after me. This I'm going your, first. This is generous. your second. This is your second line. All right, my I second mean, it's line. Your show. It's your show, but, but it, yeah, no, 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 you're right. You're right. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you, you guys to do the best lines. But I need to mention this one because I just love it so much. It's just Connor <laughs> saying, "I just had to cancel on a room full of working class whites in Cleveland." Ah, that was my favorite. <laughs> I have a backup, but you totally did, Alex. Uh, What's your backup, backup, Elizabeth? uh, Tom at the beginning, and when Greg says, you know, why Norway and not Sweden? He goes, Norway, Sweden, what's the difference? They're all descended from the same rapists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Tom is, he comes across very parochial in this episode, like when he says he doesn't care about (laughs) France. We have our own France. (laughs) (laughs) What is our own France? I don't even know what that means. We have our own Paris, and if it burns, we'll just build another one. Paris. Yeah, oh, sorry, we have our own Paris. <laughs> what is it, Washington D.C.? Something I have no idea. I don't think Washington D.C. is our Paris. What we is have the Paris, b- Texas? We have Paris, Texas. There you go. Peter, say your line <laughs> before someone steals it. Uh, okay, well, I, I have a couple, so uh, but I'll pick one. Um, so it's it's Kendall's psych up uh, mantra near at the end. I just think it's fucking feel the force time. Choose our adventure, full bore. Fuck the living <laughs> shit out of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Blessing. He's the worst one, I think, in terms of business acumen, right? Um, he's got just enough to be, right? He's half smart, right? <laughs> he has posture. He knows how he's supposed to look and present. He can't do it. Uh, he definitely knows some lingo. Uh, and then it sort of stops after that. When yeah. when he's um, when when he finally realizes that he does need to bring the whole entourage to Norway... He says this this very like corporate, very Ken thing. He, this is I, I wrote it down. Yeah, no, great, 
great good. <laughs> yeah, no is like a big thing now. People say it all the time. Yeah, no. It yeah, no, great, no. great, good. Just means, you know. Yeah. It's like, it's like up, down, up, down, left, right, BBA. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Emily, give us Emily, a line. What's your favorite line? Um, I think it comes from Shiv. And it's, if you're the creepy stalker guy who sits in the dark writing code, dripping into an IV bag and harassing his direct reports, that's going to have an economic <laughs> impact. I like that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's, it's true. It's, it's just like, you know, being a creepy stalker guy you know, it's all well and good, but like when it starts hurting your stock price, then you have exactly. to start worrying about these things. Got to make the economic case for not sending the blood. Can't just be about ethics. In the in the immortal or words or of or whatever. In the immortal words of Matt Levine, everything is securities fraud. Even sending your blood to your to your comms chief. Oh God, the blood! And he was like, first it was a joke, <laughs> it was a joke, then it wasn't a joke, then it went back to being a joke. Elizabeth, did you did you have a tech CEO in mind for Matson? No, I wondered if the the blood brick thing was just sort of derivative of Peter Thiel's, you know, blood habit. But I, I didn't. Yeah, he didn't remind me of anybody specifically. But there were a lot of elements of the retreat that felt very tech company. You know, the shot of the drone, the axe throwing, the Molly. Yeah. Yep. What about the sauna? <laughs> sauna. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if th there was definitely an element there of those notorious big um, WeWork retreats that they used to have yeah. every year, yeah. with the parties and the drugs. Uh, and Daniel like, does host a big Sweden conference um, that uh, it's like his own code conference or, or any they, all the tech companies do, do this now, but he's got one yeah. that he does in Sweden. But the, the kind of um, megalomaniac megalomaniacal self-delusion I feel is is quite Adam Newman in its own way yeah he's really an amalgam of all these folks yeah. men there's a lot yeah. of men who work at Gojo right and Ebba I didn't see many other women the the inner circle is all dudes and the, yeah then the comms lady <laughs> and the comms lady pretty standard and the, and the comms lady who's oh. also the CEO's girlfriend on off oh. girlfriend and he says, oh, that was one of my lines I was going to say. Ebba's like an estrogen air freshener. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can see why no. she's going to go public with, like, she has. She said something so like, I'm, I'm taking notes so that whenever I walk, it either goes into my book or they have to pay me off. Felix, are you a compression socks <laughs> fan at this stage of your life? <laughs> I know, right? Like, yeah, they're like, whoops. Well, so that was that was something from the last episode, right? That the yes. reason Logan died was that he wasn't wearing his compression socks because he wanted to impress Carrie. Yeah, yeah. So then you see in this episode, Frank and Carl, like, getting in there, putting on their compression socks because they don't want to die. Like, the last time they were on a plane, someone died from not wearing compression socks. That's, that's important. I think they're um, good for on a plane. But Felix, also, you should wear them. Talking of planes, my 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 other favorite line from from Hugo, where he's like, "You're on the <laughs> other plane, by the way." <laughs> Burn. <laughs> you know, you know, you 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 failed to really make it as part of the what does he call them? The quadroids quad or something? The, yeah. Quad squad. The quad squad. You know, and, and, you, and you know, the quad squad doesn't really exist when when you're on the other plane. 
Yeah, he also and also in that same uh, that same bit, he says it's not a trip to the Guggenheim, Greg. It's musical electric chairs. They're all doing a lot of like intentionally overwrought stuff here to like um, show how tough they are. There's a well, line so, of like, death is, wrestling with ogres. Yeah, but but yeah, Greg is like sexualizing the whole thing and talking about all of the hot Swedish babes or whatever. Yeah. And like, is that something you do on a trip to the Guggenheim? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're mixing metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> I think the I think the su- suggestion was we're not you're we're not in high you're not in high school we're not in high school. Um, yeah, you're right. This is like at the Guggenheim. He's out there picking up babes. <laughs> but he was dancing with Ebba, by the way. P.S. He was. <laughs> Maybe you never know. Like Greg is like weirdly self confident when it comes to picking up babes. And Greg gets the goss, right? He comes yeah. up to Tom with, like, gossip he really can't use about... He's like, oh, yeah, there's a kill list. Like, who told him there was a kill list? Maybe Ebba. Maybe Ebba. Um, <laughs> did anyone pick up the... the? This is completely unsubstantiated uh, celebrity gossip, but um, they're making a very direct reference when they're talking about uh, Mattson's sexual proclivities, wearing the headphones. Who? Oh, if you Google celebrity who wears headphones during sex, you will absolutely get a, a hit at the top of the page. <laughs> like, Emily is literally Googling this. I can see her Googling it. Oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm going to have to do this, too, now. Yeah. What's great now is everyone <laughs> listening to this podcast is doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we will, we will be back uh, next week. I'm assuming that at least for one episode, this deal is going to be presumptively on, that if and when it falls apart, it won't be for another couple of episodes. we got to get a funeral too, right? Oh, my God. We've got to get the funeral. Yeah. you got a funeral. you got an election. Um, we're going to see Mencken. We know that from the trailers. Nice. Nice. That's a lot of stuff. It's good juice. All right. Any last predictions? Well, also in the trailer, um, I don't know if you guys have discussed this. At the big, you know, the the opening opening season, whatever they call it, um, has 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 Kendall talking about uh, when the, the last season on, right? They have Kendall talking about uh, his murder, um, right? He says, "I didn't," you know. There's the OJ reference. This is like OJ if he didn't kill anyone, and he says, "Oh, what if I did?" Right? So they're they the HBO at least has laid out the idea that. That, that that death still has to play out <gasps> somewhere in this season. Yeah, really? like Colin has the dirt and, you know, Colin isn't gone yet. Colin's not gone. Marsha's not gone. And then he told his siblings, right? So that's right. at least four people who know. I would imagine the siblings are the ones most likely to bring it up. Really? If everyone has dirt that. on everyone, man. Eva has dirt on Matson Now Shiv has dirt on Matson. And when is Shiv going to reveal that she's pregnant? I mean, it's going to reveal itself at some point. Well, I mean, if we've only got 10 days, maybe it doesn't. But yeah. But you don't believe that, Felix. So <laughs> thank you to Patrick Fort for producing. And thank you to Peter Kafka for coming on. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me, guys. We will be back on Saturday with a regular Slate Money. And then back next Monday with yet another Slate Money Succession 